Introducing the new City Life Church app. The City Life app enables you to listen to messages from Sundays, browse and keep up with connect groups, stay up to date with church life through our blog section, and much more. Download the City Life app today. Welcome to the City Life podcast. We are all about making Jesus known. We pray that these messages will help equip you to become a follower of Jesus who is empowered to influence and shape culture. Enjoy the message. Some of you have been beat down. And, and you clawed just to get here tonight. And God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. He has a reward for you. When I say this little line, your best is yet to come, that's not some fancy little thing to say. It is serious business. I believe it. I live it. I own it. And I want you to own it too. And tonight, I want to talk to you about those destinies that God has for you. Because there's so much out there. There are dreams that are in your heart that are locked up that I believe God is about ready to release. And it's going to explode. I don't care how old you are or how young you are. It's time. It's time. It's time. Amen? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I want you guys to have your seat. I'm ready to preach right now. I want you to get your Bibles open to the book of Joshua, chapter number one. Joshua one. Today's, this message today is entitled, The Call. And that's because God has a call on you. There's a call. There's a calling for everyone. You know, when I was, uh, when I was young and, and I, I felt that I had this calling to be a pastor, it was, it was, it was strong on my heart and I, I really felt it was from God. I, I know it was. I still feel it today. Uh, and, and, uh, but but, but it, at that time, it was like only certain people were called, you see? And, but I, as I've, you know from this morning, like I told you, I'm a theologian and I love the Word of God. I begin to realize that, wait a minute, it's not just pastors who are called. We all are called and there's something specific that God wants us to do. And what we have to do is we navigate through life and using His Word so that we can become every single thing God wants us to be. Joshua chapter 1 is where I want you to take a look today. Tonight, I don't have... Uh, anything on the screens because I want you just to connect with me take good notes write a few things down Joshua chapter 1 just a little bit of the background here is Joshua was, was the new leader of Israel Moses had died and 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 he was the one leading God's people into this new promised land well God spoke to him and and God talked God, God talked to him very specifically, and this is all listed out for us here in the book of Joshua as he's getting ready to do this. Now here, I want you to catch this. Joshua had a call. Joshua had a destiny, he, but he had to do things to walk in that destiny. Now, now take a look at this. Joshua 1, 1, after the death of Moses, a servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses 8, Moses, my servant, is dead. Okay, right there, what he's saying is it's time for a transition. There's a transition happening. Some of you, you're in a transition right now. Okay? In other words, God's saying transition is happening, and it's happening to you. He says, now then, 
you and all these people, get ready to cross over the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. Now look at verse 3. This is important. It says, I will give you every place where you set your foot. Now, if you would like to do this, if you write in your Bibles, or if you're taking notes, what I would like for you to do right here is to write the words, step forcefully or walk forcefully it's, it's not an arrogant way but it's a forceful way so that's really what the terminology meant here what god was saying is i will give you every place where you walk with force and authority this is where i where my destiny is and i'm going to take it and right there that's a word from god for many of you it's like well you know i'm going to think about it stop thinking and let's take some action all right, take a look at this. I will give you every place where you walk forcefully. As I promised Moses, your territory will extend from the desert of Lebanon, from the great river Euphrates, to the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Sometimes it gets a little scary out there when you're taking those forceful steps in a new territory that you know you're supposed to walk into. But yet you can't be afraid. God's with you. Okay, but look at verse 6. He says, be strong and courageous. You see, this is one of my favorite passages of the Bible. Because God says, to do this, just be strong and full of courage. And then he says, because you'll lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give to them. And then in verse 7, God says it again. Be strong, but this time he uses the word very. Be strong and very courageous. In other words, come on, get your courage rolling. You see, when we come to the house of God, when we come and we worship and we hear the, God's word and we're around other people that are lifting us and encouraging us, that is an atmosphere where our courage is increased. You see, you're not going to get your courage when you're out there on your own because that actually kind of drains you but we come together god strengthens us and this is where your courage is built and it's being built in you tonight he says be careful to obey all the law my moses uh, servant moses gave to you do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you'll be successful in all the uh, wherever you go verse 8 keep this book of the law always on your lips meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it then you'll be prosperous and successful in other words keep doing things god's way all right but now, now look at verse 9. I like it because then God goes, okay, now, now, have I not commanded you? God asks a question to kind of get him back to the main point, which is the thing he keeps repeating over and over and over. And see, when, when you keep hearing something from God over and over and over, God is talking to you and he's saying, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. And don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. For the Lord will be with you wherever you go. Tonight is a night where some of you are going to begin to unlock this vision and, and, and even move forward in this vision that God has for your life as you walk forcefully. I tell you what, there are a lot of people that are in the church today abroad that are, that are just afraid and they see things happening in the culture and so they're running to the mountains, you know? Well, I'm saying it's just, this, it's just the opposite time for us. It's time for us to run to our streets, find our streets and own our streets and say, this is where God has called me. God wants you to thrive on your streets. See, what is your street? Well, I'm going to define this for you because beginning today, you're going to hear a definition of this that's going to continue on and on and on because this is part of our identity as a church. But your street... 
is your call. It's, it's the, the area of your life where you are placed. It, it's where you excel. It's where you function uh, even the majority of the time. And it could be occupational. It could be a passion, whatever. But it is an area where you excel. And I'm saying that is where God has called you. So seize that street and walk forcefully on it. You see, everyone has at least one street to seize. God made us that way. God put us together that way. Every single one of us do. That's because, you know, the action is on the streets. You know, the critters are out there in the mountains. <laughs> but people are on the streets. Trees are in the mountains. I'm not going to go run into the mountains. The streets, they connect everything. Uh, the buildings and the landmarks, they're all, they're all, you get to them by the streets. In fact, as you're going to understand how streets work, some of you will find yourself abiding maybe at an intersection of two or more streets. And, and these are two or more areas where, where God has, has called you or, or God has anointed you. And just like it said in Joshua chapter 1, it's time for you to take authority over those streets, walk forcefully and say, this is where God has called me. I'm just going to stink and own it. Stop being sheepish and shy and going and hiding. And when God gives you something, you better walk in it. You know, as, as, a, as a parent, you know, if, you, if, I, if I buy my kids something to wear, which I would never do because I, I, I pick out the most horrible things, but if I were to buy my kids something to wear and buy them all new tennis shoes and they put them in the closet and never wore them, I would be really upset with them because I gave it to them. I wanted them to have it, but, but they're like too shy to wear them because I, you know, I, maybe I got them pink shoes and those weren't cool or, anymore or something like that. I don't know. But, but you see, that would hurt me as a father. Have you ever had anyone do that? You give them a gift and they just kind of like reject it. It hurts you. How do you think God feels? And he's given you a gift. He's given you a calling. He's given you something. He's saying, I want you to thrive in this. Now, I want you to pull out the little nifty card that I put in front of you. This is time now where you need to make this go specific so that we can understand this message to its fullest. Every one of you need to pull this out. You're not going to turn this in. You're going to keep it. This is for your own reference right now. I, I have listed on here seven cultural streets. And these are seven different areas. Don't mark it yet, but these are seven different areas that we have identified, seven different streets that you might own. And some of you, 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 know, you, you know that this is where you're called. You, you feel that. And, and remember, understanding what a street is. A street is, according to my definition, it's, it's your call. It's the, the place where you are and where God has placed you. Maybe it's where you excel. It's where you function the majority of the time. Uh, and, and what I'm going to ask you to do is identify like the top three and just list them one, two, and three. Nobody's going to list like, well, number seven is such and such because that's not even one of your streets. You know, it's like you have no business there. Like for, for me, I, I know number one for me is the church. Absolutely. Number two for me is the family. And number three for me is government. The rest of those, no. I mean, business maybe, but those are the three streets where I have the most effectiveness. Those are the three streets I seize and I own, and I will invest huge amounts of energy into that because that's where my call is. Understand your call. Understand your call. What is the number one? Look at the number one. 
two, and three. Maybe you don't even have a two and a three, but it's just one, number one. That's fine. That's just fine because God doesn't, you know, God, God doesn't distribute the, the, everything equally. It's already says that in the scriptures. But where's your call? Where's the area of your life where you're placed? Where do you excel? Where do you function the majority of the time? One, two, and three. Make it very simple because you really probably already know this. I want you to hold this as a reference because you're going to need it through the rest of this message because you are called to that street. Number one, primarily, you are called to that street. You are called to that street. Now, now don't mark something that you would like to think is cool, like, like well, I like wa- you know, watching television, and, and, and you know, I like watching shows, and so maybe uh, arts and entertainment could, could be like, oh, no, come on, come on, don't do that. <laughs> it's not what you think is, is cool like you like to observe, but what do, where do you function? Where are you thriving? Where are you called, Okay you're called to one or more of these streets so a lot of times people just feel they're meandering through life uh, i'm a victim i'm a victim of my dna i'm a victim of the government what the government did to me i'm, I'm a victim of what the the company did to me I'm, I'm a victim of what my spouse did to me i'm a victim of a storm or the weather i'm, I'm a victim of what my parents did to me and, and i could go on and on but god doesn't want you to live as a victim God has another plan for you. God wants you to live as a victor rather than a victim. And God wants you to be living in victory on your street, seizing your street, walking forcefully and owning it because that's where you will thrive in a huge, massive way. And you can't be afraid. You can't be intimidated. You must do it or you will never be satisfied in this life. I'm serious on that. We're at a moment in time where things are shifting and changing rapidly. Hey, listen, You're not here tonight by accident, and you don't have this little card in your hand tonight by accident. You are an integral part of a fresh work that God is doing that I believe that it's going to impact many, many people's lives, even out of this church. And and really, with City Life, it's only just begun here at our church because we're on the ground floor of something that is absolutely amazing here in the city. See, we are ambassadors of God in this city. We're, we're, We're like missionaries. We're called by God and placed right here into the culture of Fort Worth. And, and you know, one of the things we say about our church is we say that, that City Life Church, we are called to change culture. A lot of, uh, if I were, you know, a lot of charismatics or evangelicals at a church, you know, they would shout me down with amens, like, yeah, man, yes, we are, we're called to change culture. But the truth is, when you look over history, you look at the past few decades, let's just tell the truth, Christians continue to lose the cultural war. And so, you know, we just need to explode some of those myths of how it all works. So, you know, missionaries, missionaries are concerned about two things in particular, and this is important to uh, us as a church. Missionaries are important about people meeting God and the cultures changing. Okay, it's actually both, right? Okay, let's say that you have a culture where women are oppressed and they're mistreated, but a missionary goes into that culture and everybody becomes a Christian, but the women are still being oppressed and mistreated. Is the missionary's job done? No. No, because the culture hasn't changed. Individual hearts may have changed, but the culture didn't change. You see, you want people and we want people to meet the God of the Bible and we want the culture around us to change which will reflect the love and the grace and the mercy and the father heart of God in the way of the Bible. You see, 
we, we, we see this and we, we think, well, okay, well, maybe I'll just kind of go out there and just change the world on my own and, 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 uh, and let's, let's go do an evangelistic crusade and, 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 you know, don't worry about the social structures. Let's just keep winning more people to Jesus. And I'm all for that. I, I, I like winning people to Jesus. Trust me that. But, but evangelicals in the United States have been doing that for the past 70 years. I'm not against it, and, and I applaud it if it's done in a culturally sensitive matter, manner, but the problem still is very true. The culture is not changing. What is wrong? I have no problem with saying something's wrong. Now let's fix it. Let's walk forcefully on our streets and fix it. See, the, 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 the problem is, it's not that people don't come to Christ. The problem is that the culture is not changing. I share this at our partnership lunch, and I talk to them about this from time to time, but American culture has been, uh, has been sliding for the past oh, 60 years or so, since the early uh, 1960s, about 55 years, longer than I've been around. But God's people and our collective heart all across America, we've been broken. Uh, you know, I, I was raised you know, in, this, in this whole thing. I, that's what I've seen all my life, and, and we've prayed, and, and I, you know, prayer is critical. It's essential. Um, We've held huge evangelistic crusades to change our cities, but the culture didn't change. I, I'm not slamming any of that, but, but I see them come and go out of downtown here all the time. We're, this is the one that's going to change the city. And, you know, people are touched. And, and yeah, those are great, but I want the, I want the culture changed. So I, have to, I, have, I look at all this and say, there has to be a better way. Some people think that, well, you can change culture by changing the laws. I'm a part of a group, and uh, I work with a government group in Fort Worth, and a lot of people really, really are passionate about, let's change laws, let's come up with a bunch of new laws, and everybody's hearts are going to be changed. And I laugh, I go, ha, 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 ha. they think I'm crazy, but I, I, you know, that's a myth. It is a myth. Human hearts do not change when laws are created that force people to act in moral ways. Read the Bible. You see, and so we've said that, well, let's, Im let's impose laws that force people so that they'll have that hearts change. You know, I'm in favor of laws that will uh, reflect the values of Scripture, but law never changes people. <laughs> hey, it's the whole story of the Bible. That's why Jesus had to come, because the Old Testament law couldn't change people. Laws don't change people. Laws only follow people's hearts. Basically, here's how it works. Everybody's doing something, even though it's wrong, and then our culture then votes for somebody to represent that mindset so they can change the laws. And then a lot of times Christians get all frustrated. Well, I can't believe all these laws are changing and all this happened, but that's what the voters wanted. And why? It's because they voted for that person because that's where their hearts are. And the laws are changed to permit what God forbids. So, the truth is, laws tend to not change people laws tend to follow people who are unchanged i mean this whole thing of changing laws you know even even good laws are disobeyed do you, do you realize that good laws there's some great laws around here and they are just disobeyed <laughs> the first five books of the old testament it's called the pentateuch it has more than 600 laws and these are perfect good god-given laws and when they were given to god's people you know what god's people did they just hauled off and disobeyed them. So even if there's a good law, 
There's defiance against it. That's why uh, even in our culture, when a good law is passed, you know, people don't obey. I, I, I love it when I'm outside of Texas driving back into the great Lone Star State. You know, it takes, it, it, this is a wonderful state to live in. I'm very proud of my state. But, but I, I love it because you get back in Texas, depending on where you're coming in. But a lot of times you can, you, you're like immediately hit that, you come across that border and that speed limit sign says 75. Thank you, Jesus. And what is, what do I do? I don't know what you do. I go ahead and crank that cruise up to 79 and I'm going down the road. I do it. I tend to, let's say. I, 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 I tend. What's the moral of that? Your pastor sins. Well, no, no, stop, stop that, stop that. Stop. I, I swear, like every sermon I get up here, I have to tell you another sin. But no, <laughs> this morning's sin, you know, the TV show. But here it is. Even God's people disobey good laws so laws aren't going to fix it so how does culture change well i'm i'm getting to it see i have a primary street my number one street that i have seized and that i own and that i will walk forcefully in is the church i have no trouble doing that you know i am not i'm not the wimpy kind of pastor it's like okay oh you're special today if you think you like god wave at me okay 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 no, I, I, I was like, no, I, I, can't, I can't do that. So I walk forcefully in my position as a pastor, and I've always done that. And, and with the church being my primary area of calling, my primary area of influence, what my job to do is to teach the Bible, to be a good missionary, to help people to get to meet Jesus. And I choose to pastor all people regardless of their political affiliation or their persuasion. I seize it and I occupy my street well and I own it and I love it. And when I do that, culture can be impacted. There have to be a lot of other people owning a lot of other streets for that to happen. Um, there's this guy who, his name is James Davison Hunter, and he wrote this book I've referred to in the past called To Change the World. He is a sociologist, uh, and, and he's a Christian, and what he does is he looks historically at cultural change and how it actually happens, and he makes it clear that it's not an individual nor even the majority of people who define and shape culture. It is actually the powerful minority. Hear me? It is the powerful minority. He studied this, and he says in the history of, of the Western world, there really are only hundreds or, and even thousands of people who are responsible for the, for the uh, totality of what we call Western civilization, the, the culture that we've inherited. And he goes on to make a lot of interesting points, uh, saying things that like most Christians would agree that the culture is getting worse. And, uh, and, and, he, and the way, basically the way our culture treats women pornography, sex trafficking, sexual assault. What in the world is going on in Hollywood and in politics right now? It's just being exposed. It's been there. You'd say it's getting worse, especially when you look at the reality that we still murder innocent unborn. And I'm grateful that the numbers are going down and they have continued to go down. We're at its lowest point since 1973 of abortion but the truth is the truth is 55 million people did not vote in the last election because they didn't make it out of the womb 
We've got to own that. Our culture's getting darker. Yeah, there are some things that, can, that are shifting, yes, but we have to jump in there collectively and own our streets and do it. And, and it's kind of interesting because all of this has happened. 55 million could not go and vote in the last election because they never made it out of the womb alive. And yet still the vast majority of Americans say, I believe in God, and they say, I believe the Bible is God's word. The majority say they believe the God of the Bible. So then how can the majority believe one thing and yet the culture continues to get worse? Which really takes us to the next question. Then how in the world is culture shaped in the first place? Well, oh, people, people, people shape culture depending on where they are positioned in it. That is key right there. That's what the sociologists tell us. See, this author, Hunter, uses this analogy. He says, he said, we all have financial capital, right? We all, we all do. Some of you, your net worth is greater or even far greater than others. Okay, you understand that? And he says, as it is financially, so it is socially across America. What he says is, is some of you have much social capital and some of you have less social capital. And so what he says is, instead of just saying, well, I'm going to make a difference, no, you, you look at where you are positioned culturally, and, and we look at the street that you're on, your street, and, and decide to own it, and to live it, and to walk forcefully in it, and then you can actually affect change when you do that. So your position in the culture actually gives you the greatest influence. In fact, the people who have the strongest and greatest influence, according to sociologists, are people, groups, who actually live and do business and worship what's called upstream in the culture. And they have inordinate influence over shaping the culture because culture is designed and created and, and, and packaged and then it's exported out of the centers of America's largest cities. So if you have a group of people who are in unity, and it, it can even be a very small subculture who is present and involved in the creation of culture that flows out of the hearts of America's largest cities, that minority of people, you don't have to be the majority, that minority of people has the greatest opportunity to create lasting cultural change in whatever direction they choose to make it happen, either for good or for evil. That is why I say get that street, find that street, own your street, own your cultural street, own it, seize it, live it. What do I mean by being upstream in the culture? Well, uh, I, I share this a few times before, and it's important because this is really critical to who we are as a church. In fact, even our own City Life logo is, has, a, has a river, and, and it represents the cultural river. But, but back in the 1920s, the Trinity River that flows through our city was known as the mythological river of death. Maybe you've heard me tell about that. The pollution in the Trinity, it killed the fish, it stunk horribly, and no one in their right mind would touch that water. Uh, it was caused by runoff and sewage and chemicals and even stories of pig blood and the river red with blood, trash. I mean, you name it. It got into the river and it became toxic. Our own river here, okay? Now, today, now, I mean, it's, it's very different. 
before the, the water makes it in through the various forks of the Trinity River, uh, you can eat the fish and catch what you eat and, and enjoy it. But when the water leaves Benbrook Lake and Lake Worth, the fish become too contaminated to eat. Uh, and that extends all the way through the Metroplex and out the other end. And when you get down to Houston, the water is the most toxic. But the water in the Trinity in Fort Worth, because it's coming in here, and this is actually the source of it, this is where it all starts, it can still be used for recreation, just a few blocks from here. Some of you have seen it, participated in it, and dunked in it. I mean, there's swimming, there's kayaking, there's wakeboarding, there's floating, and there's more. But if you've lived around this Metroplex for a while, you know you would be crazy to try to do that in Dallas. <laughs> Why? It's because pollution from the cities then fills the rivers, and, and the cities upstream pollute it, impacting the river that flows all the way downstream. What this means is if you follow the Trinity River, our river, downstream, and let, where it comes out in southeast, uh, southeast Dallas, if, if you go there, you will find that the river really is unbearably nasty and people live there i've seen it and they have to deal with it but culture is like that it flows from an upstream source and it flows downstream now i want to use this analogy if you wanted to clean up the trinity river let's say in southeast dallas uh that'd be a problem i mean the truth is you need to go far as far upstream as possible because you can't just set up a program over there in southeast Dallas and say, okay, all of us guys who hate the condition of the river, we, we, what we've got to do is get all the garbage and sewage and chemicals out of this river. And so, let me tell you, you can work all day, you can work all night, you can spend multiplied billions of dollars into cleaning the Trinity downstream, and you will only have minimal success. Why? Because all you can do downstream is react to what the river is sending you. You're reactive, always wearing yourself out, reacting, reacting, reacting. But what I'm talking about today, when I'm talking about owning your streets, I'm talking about you being proactive. You're getting out there. You're taking steps. You're owning a piece of the culture so that you can make a difference. You see, if you want to genuinely change culture, you have to go as far upstream as possible and locate the places where the pollutants are being poured into the river to, to if you're going to stop the flow of filth to everyone who's downstream. It's culturally, it's the same way. I mean, most churches and ministries, they're not able to affect cultural change on a large scale simply because of where they are located. And that's not a bad thing. They're ministering to the people who are there. But they preach about the culture and how bad the culture is. And, and they work diligently to clean up the culture where they are. And come on, some of you understand that. And, and they've even set up these little microcultures so they can briefly escape the toxic cultures that's being sent to them. And they try to set up a, a haven in their small cities and suburb, suburbs and rural areas. But the truth is, those churches are doing all they can, but they're still failing to change the culture because it's being sent to them from upstream, from the cities. And so the Christians fast and they pray and they get involved politically and they mourn and they hold campaigns and they sign petitions. But unless Christians go upstream in the culture, find that cultural street that they own and really, really get in there and own it and then do it even, especially in the physical place where the culture is being created and exported from, then you're going to see huge results that will begin to impact. So our challenge is this, is we have to go upstream in the culture to seize and occupy our streets 
introducing people to Jesus at the highest levels of our culture in the heart of this very city. And I'm dedicated to that cause, and that's what this church is about. City Life Church, we are the heart of America's 16th largest city. This is a culture-creating city. This is the first church who has owned property that exists in 76102 zip code since 1940. Do you understand that? So we have a mandate. You know, if, if you want to change law, then we need, what we need to do is we need people who love Jesus to be professors at our law schools right down the road, to train the lawyers who, who uh, go into practice, who become the judges and people who seize and occupy the streets of government. If government is one of your streets, you have a responsibility there to be light and salt and, and make, make a difference and walk boldly there. Similarly, I'll, I'll use another analogy. Uh, let's say, hypothetically, there's this suburban grandma. She's the sweetest little grandma, but she does not like some of the forms of rap that's coming out of the culture because it denigrates women. What's she going to do about it? Well, she can get frustrated and sign petitions. Is that going to help anything? Is it? No, come on, no. The answer is no, 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 no. She can't affect change because she's downstream. So she's got to figure out a way to get upstream. So let's, let's say maybe her grandson comes to know Jesus. She drags that grandson to that little country church, and, and he meets Jesus, and he repents of his sins. And he, he, but he's also a musician, and he really digs this rap stuff. She don't like it, but he digs it. And so he gets into it. And, and now, now he has an opportunity to change what is actually being distributed and sent out on the airway. So what he does is grandma prays over him and he goes upstream in the culture. He goes to the heart of a large American city like ours where he will seize and occupy the street of arts and entertainment. And that Christian, this Christian, if successful, he will have inordinate influence, much greater influence than the mega, mega, super mega churches could ever have. Do you understand that? This is actually how culture changes. It changes at the source where culture is created by those who seize and own their streets. And I'm telling you, here in this neighborhood, there is fierce competition on who is going to seize and own certain streets. There is. And, uh, and you, you just gotta like, you just can't be afraid of that. That's why, that's why God told Joshua, don't you be afraid. Don't you be intimidated. Don't you be insecure about this thing. You just get out there and do it. You see, here in Fort Worth, we are upstream in the culture. And again, that doesn't mean that we're any better. It's just our physical location. That's where we are. It's where we sit on the cultural river. But in Fort Worth, we have colleges and universities. We have law offices everywhere. Banking is centralized in this neighborhood. The new tower that's going in is called the Frost, what? Bank Tower. It's, this is where science it begins uh, uh, here in this neighborhood, the creators of, of art, they, they live and they do business. The culture shapers and the culture makers live and do business right here in this neighborhood. Many times right here in this building all week long. And whatever is created here in this neighborhood, education and the arts and business and government, it emanates from the city and eventually goes out to the rural areas just like the Trinity River. That's why if you're a great musician, and you live out in a farm somewhere. You live, live out in Gun Barrel City. Any of y'all know where Gun Barrel City is? I know where Gun Barrel is. I've been there. I had to go there just because it was a cool name. I, <laughs> I really did that. But let's say, let's say you're out there in Gun Barrel City, and you live on this farm somewhere, and, and you really want to make it big in country western music. Well, what are you going to do? Stay on the farm and sing to the animals? Nope. 
Now, the animals might be happy, but they're probably going to look at you kind of weird. You move to the city because that's where the clubs are located. That's where the record labels are. That's where the media is. And then culture flows downstream from that place. See, cities are upstream. Downtown, downtown Fort Worth is upstream. Our, our church is physically located and positioned upstream in the culture. And cities have two basic traits. It's density and diversity. Uh, we have more people compacted into a very small area than anywhere else in this county. Uh, for example, with the one-mile one radius of this building right here, Eight to 9,000 people live. That's within one mile. That is our neighborhood. It is estimated with this new Trinity River project going in, Panther Island project, within 15 to 20 years, that number may double or even triple. This neighborhood is dense with people and is becoming more dense with people than ever before. That, my friend, is opportunity to seize a street. And there's also diversity here, here in, in downtown. I mean, there are all kinds of people. There are, the thing about downtown is there are no cookie-cutter people around here at all. Again, you just, you just spend a day sitting in a coffee shop here. Uh, I tell you, what, spend a day sitting in this coffee shop, then spend a day sitting in a suburban coffee shop, and you'll ex see exactly what I'm talking about. There's huge diversity. Uh, also, you know, your infrastructure and, and your transportation and communication that's here in the heart of the city. That's why Paul, do you know Paul as a New Testament Christian? He, was, he was, had a mandate from God to start churches. And this is, this is all written out in the book of Acts. But his missionary journeys are from city to city to city to city to city. There's some historians who have studied this in detail. And they say, uh, this is actually Wayne Meeks and Rodney Stark. They, they have investigated it. And they said that Paul actually intentionally avoided the rural areas. And you want to hear something funny? You've heard the word pagan before? Do you know that... that in the early days of the church, the term pagan literally meant someone who lived on a farm. Now, we wouldn't say that today, because no. But that's what it meant. Why? Here, here listen to this. This is so cool. It's because after Paul had set up these churches, and these churches began expanding, and cities were transformed, the Christians lived in the cities, and the pagans had to live on the farms. That's history. That's history. How would you like that? <laughs> See, the way the early church expanded and influenced is, is, they, is they just diligently got upstream as far as possible into the hearts of the cities and they made a cultural difference. They found their place and they owned their streets. So let me say this. You need to examine how upstream you are, what kind of influence you have, what authority you have, what opportunity has God given you uh, in your place in the river, or even what dreams and desires are in your heart, what training are you in, what are you doing right now that's going to take you to a new place. And, and please understand, there is no right or wrong place to be. Of these seven that are on here, there is no right one, there is no wrong one. These are all gifts from God. It's... But when you get there, you behave as a missionary in that culture. You win people to Jesus and you change the culture on that street. See, I'm passionate about the street that I live on. And if, if, I, see, if I see a mess on that street, well, I'll go clean it up. Why? It's because it's my street. Like, I don't own everything on that street, but boy, I, you know, I walk with authority on my street. No, I'm going to clean this up. This is my street. It's like, well, it's two inches over by the neighbor's yard. Yeah, that big pile of stuff. Oh, well, I'll just leave that there. No, no, that's not how you act. You change culture by just walking in the authority of God wherever you are. Now, if you think about this, you will become very passionate in your mind to find this, your one, two, or even your third uh, street on here, if you have that many, and you will do everything possible 
to move yourself up in those areas. Um, it's, you know, since, since medieval times, the Middle Ages, the prevailing thought was this, is if you really want to do something for God, then you have to get into religious vocational ministry. You have to be called. And that was even kind of what, you know, what I grew up with. I heard a lot of that. And, but, uh, but the truth is, it wasn't that way in the early church. It wasn't that way in the churches Paul was starting all across the world. And so what I'm recommending is, why don't we just go ahead and do it the Bible way? Truth is, the vast majority of you do not need to be in religious vocational ministry. You don't. Trust me, it's not as much fun as you might think it is. You need to be bankers. You need to be lawyers. You need to be musicians, politicians. You need to run some of the record labels. And, and uh, you need to be the reporters who are telling the stories of what God is doing in the city. And you need to try to get as far upstream as possible on your street. And for those of you who are not yet very far upstream and maybe you don't even know God or maybe you are one of God's people and you've kind of lived in the closet because you're like, well, I'm, I'm afraid. I, I have opposition. Then I'm, I'm just saying you go right back to Joshua chapter 1 and read that. Do not be intimidated. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Stand in this. Walk forcefully. And God says, I'm going to give it to you, but you got to get out there and say, I'm here. I'm arrived. It's not arrogance. It's not pride. It's just simply saying, I'm here. I'm going to own this. Some of us really need to come to a place of repentance. And knowing that God has even providentially placed us upstream or we're headed in that direction and we don't even really know what to do with it. And, and, and please know that, that if that's where you are, it is, and if that's where you're going, it's where we should be working toward. It's not for your own wealth. It's not for your fame. It's not for your comfort. If God has placed you upstream, Will you go public with your faith and fight for justice as a missionary? Will you be a voice for the voiceless? Sometimes I get a little concerned. I was at a race and culture meeting the other day, and I knew I had to say some strong things for the city. And, and that was the day when they had like 15 television cameras there. And, and I talked to one of the guys, like, what are all these cameras doing? They said, oh, this is on national media today. I went, oh, great. You know, but I have to say what I'm going to say because I know I have to speak up for the people who have no voice. And I have no trouble saying that. And they try saying, stop, stop, you don't know what you're talking about. I said, no, 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 I do. Listen up. And I just take authority. I'm not, not going to be brash or harsh, but I'll be strong because God has said, Tim, you are on the street of government. I've given you some authority here, so you better stink and walk in it. And God does say stinking to me. I don't know if he says it to you. You just better walk in it. Walk forcefully, not with arrogance, not with pride, with deep humility. And when the city manager is sitting next to you and he's laughing at someone who's mocking another city leader, I just say, that, my friend, is not funny. You want to hear him shut up his laughing that quick? See, sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. God put me in that seat for a reason. Do you understand what I'm talking about? But you also do it with a winsome spirit. And that is the same way that I presented my message this morning. I presented a message on science with a winsome spirit, not with an arrogant attitude. So will you use 
your place of influence and rise in that for God's sake? Will you use your money as an opportunity to do good for all people, but firstly for God's people, which is what the scriptures say? See, our church, City Life Church, is a strategic missional church. That's why God has us here. That's why, you know, downtown church plants, they fail relentlessly and they can't stay. They just, they just don't stay here. And I, I'm not, I, I, it hurts me when I see it happen because I see it happening all the time. But somehow God has just breathed a little bit of blessing on us. And we're planted in the heart of this city and we are upstream for a reason. And I tell you what, I'm going to walk forcefully and own it and I'm not going to hide out and I'm not going to be shy about it. Instead of reacting from what the culture is pumping out like and trying to fix it like in our own little huddle like the other 99% of American churches are forced to do because of where they're located. I just say, you know what? We're living in this culture. We're going to shape this culture. I'm going to walk the, even the physical streets of the city and get to know these people and love these people. See, this, this right here, our seven cultural streets, this is our strategy. This right here is our strategy that I'm introducing to you tonight. First time I've introduced this. This is a missiological, a missions attitude. It's a Bible attitude, and I'm inviting you to jump in. And you're going to notice, as I've been talking about changing culture a lot this year, but you're going to notice as this next year comes around, you'll find a lot more at the Vision Banquet. <laughs> but as we move forward, you're going to hear more about this, about empowering and training and equipping people to do just this. And, and some of you, your number one is family, and that's where you need to be. I, I, I looked at my lovely wife and this morning, and I just thought, Thank you so much for who you are. And the truth is, is I just, I just said, I'm proud of your sons. And I know they're my sons too, but they're her sons. She's invested a whole lot more in them. And it's like, I'm, I'm just proud of them. They're, they're men of God. Like, look, they're on the front row worshiping God and another one's in the back leading the children's ministries. It's like, what a blessing. I mean, most pastors, like, they don't even know where their kids are because they, they just chose to ignore family. And, and I've, I've just decided, well, I'm going to do what the scriptures say. The Bible says you're, you're qualified to be a pastor if you keep your house in order and you raise your children, right? And it's like, okay, well, I think I'll try to do that because that's what the Bible says. So that's what I do. But I believe in that. But I also know that, like, her primary area is the family, and I'll tell you what, I have a legacy now. It's no longer a theory. It used to be a theory for me years ago. Now I have a legacy because someone in my family owned that street of family. This is a strategic... I, I'm inviting you guys. Raise up your children to live upstream in the culture. Help your children to even know and identify and seize the street that they are called to. Your children, they need to be familiar with the culture of the city and be grounded in the Word of God, active in the declaration and the lifestyle of the Word of God. So, and then you're going to want your children to stand on your shoulders because you took them down the street and you taught them how to own the street. You see what I'm saying? And I also exhort every single one of you to take your opportunities to get upstream. You need to befriend the culture makers, speak their language, attend their events, be salt and light on the streets that you are called to. Know your street, know your intersections, because some of you, you have intersections and there's two or three or more of these that come together. Seize it, occupy it, and do what is right in God's eyes. And do what is good for the people of God. And use your wealth to make a difference. Some of you here are powerful. Some of you here are wealthy some of you are gifted and talented some of you are very successful but every single one of you own at least one street it's time to open up your door and start walking that street walk that cultural street luke 12 48 wrap this up with this it says 
For everyone to whom much is given, much will be required. Some of you are you're young. You're still learning your way. You're determining your pathway. You might even be a new Christian. You may have recently even made the decision to follow Jesus. But regardless, I strongly admonish you, see this as your vocation, part of your mission. This is where God has called you. You are an ambassador of God to that street. You are a missionary. Own that street. Study hard. Work hard. Excel. Grow your business. Maximize your opportunities. Increase your sphere of influence. Love, lead, and guide children. Keep moving forward. At the same time, we're going to be a healthy church. We're going to be pray for each other. We're going to serve one another. And we will not judge one another regardless of where, whether you are positioned or you're not positioned at a certain time. And we're going to be cheerleaders of each other. And this is a church where we're not critical of each other. We're not envious of one another due to the, some, well, this person occupies 17 streets. Like, that's cool. But there aren't even 17. There's only seven. But, but I'm not going to have envy of that because I, 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 my three are way enough for me. All right? We're all missionaries in a dark culture. What we do is not easy, but it is right and it is biblical. And it is critical that we make Jesus known right here in this city. And we will clean this culture. It's not a might. It's not a might. We will clean the cultural river that's flowing out of this city. And we will occupy our streets. And we are going to say, God, I'm not satisfied with where I am right now. I want more, more of your blessing, more of your anointing. I want more of your influence. In fact, I want to show you something here over on this little thing. Uh, Colby put it up here or one of the guys put it up here this this new banner and and this these are all the little words that the different ones have submitted and, and people have been trying to guess on social media which is my word nobody guessed it it's kind of funny people are even saying words that weren't even on there i'm like duh but mine is actually right up there in the corner my one word is right there m-o-r-e now I, I i chose that word and man, i was kind of thinking oh people might think like Think, I'm thinking wrong about that. Well, I don't care what anyone thinks, but I'll tell you what I know about that. That means I'm not satisfied with 2017 anointing and influence in my life. I want more because I am going to occupy until Jesus comes. I'm going to occupy my street. I will occupy and seize and walk forcefully on the street of the church, on my family, and in government as well. And what is your street? Will you own it? Will you own it? Because I'm saying, God, it's no more less. No, I'm not going to be shallow. I'm not going to be weak. And I certainly will not be wimpy, Pastor. Okay, boys and girls. I mean, come on. I choose to own it. Who's with me? City Life is able to continue making Jesus known through the consistent investments of many. And if you would like to invest financially into the vision, you can do so at citylifefw.org. Simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thank you for listening to this week's message from City Life Church. You can stay connected through Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And we look forward to seeing you on Sunday.